Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Hi, I'm Bill Hendricks, Executive Director for Christian Leadership at the Hendricks Center. And I'm so glad to welcome you to this uh, edition of The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. And I am so delighted to have a couple of friends of mine that I'm becoming closer to by the day, Luke and Abby Hatterberg. Welcome to The Table Podcast. Thank, thank you, you. Yeah, for having thank us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, this is a great story that uh, needs to be told, um, the work that uh, God has given the Hatterbergs to do. And uh, Luke, this really starts, this story you know, obviously, it starts at your birth and and beyond, but we're not going to go all the way back not there. That far but back. <laughs> so, so you came through Dallas Seminary as a student, yes, sir, and uh, and you got all the way through the program. I did. I survived. You survived. <laughs> I did. Which uh, tells those who are seminary students, there's hope. There is, yes. But once you graduate, um, what was your intention, and and what happened? Yeah, so um, I think for for both Abby and I, we had had kind of a love for youth ministry. And so for me, I came into DTS going, I want to be a youth pastor. In fact, it was a youth pastor sending youth pastor. I wanted to to learn all of it and get into it. And it was it was awesome. And Jay Sedgwick played a, a big part of that, which was really exciting. Um, and then as we were finishing, or ex- actually while we were doing seminary, um, we started Wayfaring kind of on the side, and it just mm-hmm. kind of continued to grow. And um, instead so, of so, uh, let me jump in there. Sure. So you guys, you're married during seminary, so mm-hmm. you, yep. you played this important role of, of mm-hmm. a seminary wife and mm-hmm. got him through. Were you working your way through? I was, yeah. We actually started seminary literally seven days after we got married. Yeah, dude. Bad idea. And so... (laughs) You need to pray about that one. Um, Most people don't do their honeymoon at at a seminary. Not quite. Yeah, yeah. yeah, We didn't even have a honeymoon because of that. We had a delayed honeymoon. So we really were committed and uh, jumped right in. So so, yeah, we started... I was teaching at the time. I was teaching... um, I had just gotten back from teaching in Italy, came back and was teaching like at a very small charter school. Yeah. downtown Dallas. Um, and he jumped right into seminary and I jumped right into teaching. Um, we had just gotten off, you know, a two year long distance relationship. Um, and so we definitely had a lot on our plates. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the intent was always youth ministry and then potentially some sort of international, international yeah. work. Uh, we both really had a heart for Europe. Um, and so that was kind of in the back of our minds okay. too, but definitely a focus on youth. So you yeah. kind of so. got this vision working. Yep. Yeah. But absolutely. Then you said you started a little business on the side. And, yeah. And what was the name of that business again? Initially. Yeah. <laughs> we did rebrand. Well, yes. But Initially it's now... it was Degno di Nota, which meant noteworthy in Italian, which right. we thought was clever. Um, but then we clever, re- but uh, not uh, not, not <laughs> helpful for right. branding right. purposes, for marketing, any of that kind of stuff. And so then we changed it to Wayfaring. Wayfaring. Yes, sir. Spell that out for our listeners. W a y f a r e n. Yeah. Wayfaring. Wayfaring. Yes, yeah. Now, I happen to know the story of who came up with that and so forth. Yeah. Let's just cut to what does Wayfarin actually stand for or mean? Sure. Yeah. Um, it's Well, it's 
technically not a real word. Okay. Uh, it came from, you know, wayfarer or wayfaring. Wayfarer, um, okay. The idea of almost traveling uh, without without the a specific intent in mind. Yeah. So, like, the idea of wandering yeah. um, is when the best traveling happens is what we really— Wandering with not so much the idea of being lost, but just— it, uh, Exactly. Just let, the beauty in the wandering. Let's yeah. just see what comes along. Yeah. yeah. And so For that's, the purpose of enjoyment. Like, the, the getting lost, in a sense, is sure. part of the beauty of it all. So where does this travel wandering theme come from? Great question. Um, so, well, we obviously had done a lot of traveling. I had gone backpacking through uh, Europe. She had spent uh, a year in Italy. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and then we had also spent a summer doing youth ministry in Spain with Youth for Christ. And so we had all of these pictures of um, these beautiful places. And so we had kind of had a, a love for traveling just for how much the Lord had formed us and what he had done in us through that. And so that's kind of a, where a lot of it started. Um, and so then it was just a matter of going, okay, what are we going to do with these pictures? Because we just had these computers that were loaded with all of these mm-hmm. um, beautiful places. And so it was just like, okay, how do we share this? And so we tried selling the pictures, but that just didn't quite work, didn't quite fit because there's no connection with it. And so it was more going, okay, we want to kind of inspire people to go and see these places for themselves and, and enjoy them personally. And so that's kind of how the love for travel started and then how it kind of morphed into a little bit more than that. Because the whole woodworking side was completely an interception. We, like I said, we started with youth ministry and then the Lord just changed so much of the trajectory. So, so I'm, I mean, I'm here in youth and then we've traveled and we got pictures and and uh, and then I hear woodworking suddenly introduced, and and suddenly there's this business called Wayfaring. So how does all that? Yeah. Come so um, so like yeah, Luke said we really both always had a real strong interest in travel. Um, I grew up traveling a lot. My dad worked for American Airlines, so we, you know, were flying all over um, yeah. growing up, and you not as much. Not as much. <laughs> we had some road trips. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, we really always connected on that. Just for, initially when we first met, um, yeah. that was something that we really connected on and really um, had a passion for travel and other cultures and um, getting outside of the, kind of the Dallas bubble. And so we initially kind of connected on that and, um, you know, initially got married, wanted to do something with youth, had in the back of our minds, like maybe something with youth abroad. Um, And so we did this internship in Spain with YFC, Youth for Christ, um, with some amazing people over there and um, loved it. And it definitely instilled our passion for that. And we still at that time, that was what, two years into marriage, Mm -hmm. um, in 2011, we still at that time thought the Lord was leading us sure. yeah. down, to do that. down that road. Yeah. Um, so what was the woodworking part? Sure. Yeah, so after writing and reading and writing and reading over and over, I, I think I just needed a creative outlet. I needed something to do with my hands. I need something to um, to separate from just the content where I can kind of release and relax. And so anyway... Um, By the way, did, did, did nobody... No. Talk to you about, you know, people that love to work with their hands typically don't end up in seminaries. <laughs> yes, this is true. Well, a lot of people just didn't understand what was going on, or they'd make some joke about how that's what Jesus would do or something, and I was like, I don't really... But I don't, I, don't, I don't even think you really discovered your love for working with oh, your hands until you after. were three-fourths through seminary. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. we started it just on a whim, wanting to raise our kids around just 
making things. And so we bought a table saw and then just started. And some friends of ours encouraged us uh, to start making things. And we made this pushpin travel map. Um, and they were like, you should sell this online. And we're like, that's crazy. Absolutely not. And they kept pushing us and encouraged us to do it. And so we did. And then the Lord just kind of started to grow it from there. And it continued and continued. And then... So people started to go to your website and... and buy. Uh, yes, sir. Buy the... The, little the pushpin travel maps. Yes, sir. What they look like? So yeah. Well, I mean, what to answer your question? We are, the goal was really to make a really um, beautiful pushpin travel map. So it really started because we saw a gap in the market. Yeah. You know, he was in the thick of seminary. I was still in the thick of teaching, and um, I think both of us were really looking for a creative outlet. We couldn't travel at that time. He still yeah. had. You know, Seminary. a year plus year, you know, who knows how much longer left. <laughs> um, and we f- were feeling a little restless, I think, and really yeah. just looking for a creative outlet. And the Lord hadn't, you know, brought the end of Seminary or brought like what that next door was yeah, yet for a us. Clear direction. And so um, we kind of, to backtrack how it started, was we were um, at dinner at some friends one night. And they had just got back from a trip and had this huge map on their wall um, pinned where they had been, where they wanted to go. And anyways, we spent the whole night talking about their adventures and our adventures and just such a lovely night of uh, swapping stories. And and we left thinking like, wow, like how how wonderful to be able to, you know, connect in that way and – um, but like that map was really ugly. It yeah. was it was really ugly. Was and so bad. then we kind of that kind of launched us into a hunt for a pushpin travel map and we couldn't find anything on the market that we felt was really beautifully crafted yeah. um in a really timeless um and really high quality way. Everything yeah. was yeah, so, go ahead. so let me interject if, if you don't mind yeah. my asking, um why is it important that a travel map with pushpins mm. be attractive? You want to take that one? Sure. I think, <laughs> I mean, our lives were changed in travel. Yeah. Whether it's the people, whether it's the places, whether it's just those moments that you have just with the Lord and it's just you on a walk in a place that you've never been. Um, and so when you have these moments where you're just like, man, I was changed on that trip. And then you come home and it's just this little goofy poster that you just kind of have tacked on to the side of your wall or something like that. Whereas when it is this beautiful thing, you can look at it and you can enjoy it. And it's a discussion piece and you have conversations around it with people and they're like, oh, where did you go? And what happened? And all of that. And so to have something really worthy of those moments, I was just like, yes, this was meaningful and beautiful. So the word worthy is really important there. Yeah. So you you've had this profound experience travel, sure. and uh, you want the the way that that is remembered and the way the narrative of that is told to be just as beautiful. To, yeah. To as the adventures and yeah. experiences themselves. Great. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Yeah, and I think and something we've learned, I think, in business. Um, I think at first, you know, I struggle with, okay, so like my um, natural inclination is for things to be, you know, really well designed and, um, you know, have a bit of a modern take on it and feel fresh and new. Um, And sometimes that can feel a bit like materialistic or um, shallow, Mm -hmm. maybe. But I think, you know, we've really learned that like, the Lord is the creator of aesthetic beauty. Like he's the initial creator of that. So when we can make something that um, like is so detailed and we've thought of every inch of it, um, it really is like a a nod to him and um, is a way of 
um, yeah, like we said, you know, taking those adventures and those experiences and um, making something that we feel is a little more worthy of sure. those yeah. life-changing experiences the Lord has brought your way. Well, so. you know, Colossians 1 says that all things have come into existence through him. Yes, exactly. And yeah. so you know that he's paid attention to every inch of every exactly. yeah. yep. part of yes. creation. So yeah. why wouldn't we? Exactly. Yeah. Well, yes. and that's one of the things I think as I've – with. Working with my hands, I think very often, and for obvious reason, there's the Genesis one where he's speaking these things into existence, and it's like, yes, obviously. Um, but there's a section in Genesis 2 when it talks about how he's forming. And when I think of the things that you just buy your table at Pottery Barn or at Ikea or whatever it is. By the way, nothing against Pottery Barn or Ikea. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just want to but emphasize in that. in contrast... If I've made a table, I'm envisioning like what the conversations are going to be like there, who I'm going to have, like what that looks like. I've thought about the height, the width, the dimensions, how that goes together, the finish, the wood, all of these different things. I care about all of those dimensions of this table. Um, and so once I'm using it, there's a very different type of care that I take for it, opposed to something that is by no means necessarily meaningless, but just doesn't have that heart behind it. So in Genesis 2, when it talks about how he's forming us and making us, like there's a very intimate interaction, and you just think of how much he cares. And so I think for me, when I look at the different things in my house, and it's just like, yes, that means something special. Um, And so it's been exciting to kind of be in that mindset sometimes. So you've just described, it seems to me, the soul of an artisan, mm-hmm. of a craftsperson. Yeah, absolutely. And and of course, you know, let's just take that table that's bought from Pottery Barn or IKEA. Um, somebody designed that somewhere, right? And put some thought into you know a whole bunch of factors like what's the use of this going to be, who's going to buy it, what can yeah. they afford. And so they had various design features that they had to, fun, you know, build into that, and then sure. go through a distribution mechanism. And of course, the way our cultures become today, you know, th- goods are made, you know, fairly high quality and durability mm-hmm. for relatively small amounts of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, and so for that reason, we've gotten away from that direct artisan, hands-on yeah. craftsmanship. Yeah. In category after category in our world, you know, you think uh, even even two or three hundred years ago, uh, so much of certainly before the Industrial Revolution, just about everything was made by a craftsperson. Everything somewhere. was handmade. Yeah. yeah. Down to horseshoes, oh, you know, yeah. which are about as pedestrian as right. you can yes. get, right? right. But uh, you know, but then those same uh, smiths who were making horseshoes, you know, they'd also make. You know, gates or fences yeah. or Any you know, ironworks iron yeah. that, that are that are just amazing, yeah. and and likewise with all kinds of other material. And so you're a bit of a unicorn <laughs> in our culture, yeah. Um, in that you're putting that kind of time and effort into th- into sure. in in your case wood, right? Yes, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was. I feel like in that season, like I think we definitely felt like a. Not unicorn, maybe more at that time we'd think black sheep. <laughs> but, yes. okay. You know, like we're finishing up seminary and we have this business we yeah. launched on the side and like, oh gosh, we went 
to seminary to like start a business. Yeah. Like we put all well, this time and, and, and a lot money of times and, even so, there'd be guys when they hear what I did, they'd be like, yeah. oh, okay. Right. It feels like almost I quit like ministry. a, right. <laughs> it just like, I think we really had to work different. through some insecurities about. Like you oh, sold out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it, like yes. it was a casualty, like, like man down. And it's like, right. it's, you didn't it's have different. what it took to, right. to do ministry. No, and that's, ministry. and that's how sometimes, not always, but there were times where that's how it was, is talked about. And I think does a, almost a disservice to both those who are in vocational ministry and those who are not. Correct. Because um, I think being trained in the Word, no matter what you do, is very valuable and very powerful. And I think it radically ch- changes your worldview and the way that you treat people and that you do work. And so, well, um, and truth be told, to deliver uh, an outstanding sermon, say, mm-hmm. takes some real artisanship. Absolutely. And, oh, and, yes. and gift. Absolutely. Uh, to yeah. to mentor and disciple somebody as it as it is done by Christ in the New Testament yeah. in today's world, there's some artisanship and craftsmanship that goes into that. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, um, enough said on that point. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So you're making maps. maps. Right. Yes, sir. And you're, you're starting to sell them online. Mm-hmm. and. And it's growing, and you suddenly yeah. realize, whoa, we got something here. Yeah. So what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, at that time he was a youth pastor at a local church, yeah. um, and things were – They're going well. Yeah, growing, I think, faster than we had anticipated. I think, yeah, yeah we never set out to create a business. No. Uh, I mean, we, I used the high schoolers as free labor because yeah. it was basically like I'm finishing seminary and I'm working at this church and all these orders are coming in. And so I'm trying to figure out what in the world am yeah. I going to do with this? And so I basically – I saw the difference between what these guys were like on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night versus how they were when they were in the shop with me and the amount that they would open up, the things that we would talk about. The, I'd get them on a good day and I'd get them on a bad day. And it Okay, wasn't so just, now you've opened up another door. Oh, totally. Another well, layer of yes. mentoring. Well, and that's kind of where it where it started to to bubble over into where even after the kids graduated, still wanting to be involved, still wanting to help. And so I think that just even further solidified like, oh, this is just as much of a ministry um, as it is working in the church. And right. so that, I think, has just continued to be the pattern throughout as we've done I think just sparked like friend. a question in our minds like, um, you know, could, you know, our ministry look different than we initially, yeah. this picture we had in our minds of us, working you know, working in a church, being in youth ministry, potentially going abroad, um, which I mean that has taken years. I would say probably up until, really up until we got our first commercial space two years ago, the yeah. Lord took four or five years to work that out in sure. us, like yeah. a um, confidence in that, a joy in that, a yeah. not the insecurity that we felt of. Like yeah, we went to DTS, but you know we're not doing. We're, we're running thing. a business now. Well, um, the, so the picture that came to my mind uh, as you sort of described these these teens kind of working yeah. as free labor as yes. you called it. So let's go back to another carpenter, uh, woodworker, <laughs> Jesus. You know, and he spends the first thirty years of his life uh, apparently you know working with his brothers as a carpenter, yeah. which is really. Not just wood, but probably stone mason yeah, and, sure. and all kinds Craftsmen of craftsmen yeah. in general. Yeah, yeah. and um, we don't we don't have a lot of information there, but it, it seems reasonable that we can deduce if he was indeed a carpenter. Um, he he gets up kind of about the age I perceive you were, twenty eight, twenty nine. Yeah, you know, getting up close to his 
you know, formally starting his, yeah. his ministry. Ministry, right. Yeah. So imagine you're like a 17, 18, 19-year-old mm-hmm. kid, yeah. and you're on a job or in the shop with this guy named Jesus. And so he, he knows a few things, you know, yeah. about wood and right. working it. And, yeah, there's the work, but then there's the guy. Yeah. You know, you, like, want to go back there and just, just hang out with him because you ask him questions. and he, yeah. yeah. He says these things, and you're like, what is happening? <laughs> right. But he's such a good guy. Yeah. And so that's what you were doing. Yeah. I would say as a third party looking in, like, that is a – couldn't be a more true picture of what happened in the shop with Luke and all these – so many, you know, young men that have come through our shop now. It was just a, um, yeah, really beautiful means of relationship that um, I think some really neat conversations can happen when you're doing something else and yeah. you're not just, uh, I, you know, there's sometimes, ministry mode. you know, when you're like sitting there sanding boxes together, forever. like a really neat, yeah, <laughs> forever, um, some really neat conversations that can happen. Yeah. Um, and I think as we got into the business, you know, well, throughout the years, we realized that. Well, so. and an even further layer on that, Abby, is it's not like Luke is, you know, sitting down across the table from some 16-year-old mm-hmm. going – Tell me about yourself. <laughs> right, yeah. exactly. That's no, no, no. We're yeah. doing something over yeah, here. It feels yeah. a little more approachable. And then um, suddenly yeah. the the 16-year-old is telling Luke about <laughs> right. himself. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, well, and I think it just opens up a – yeah, just an honesty that I just think is unique and is different. And, um, yeah. and it was fun because as – we, you know, transitioned out from the youth ministry at the church. I think for for me especially, just having gone through DTS, like I knew what yeah. that was like. I knew how difficult it was. I knew the the fears, the questions, the frustrations, the fears, the fears, all of them. <laughs> and it's like, and and I had just always wanted someone to come alongside me and be like, hey, yeah, man, I've been through that. I know what that's like. I know how scary that is. And I. Um, and so I just was like, one, five minutes down the road, but I think it was also going, let me step in. And it's not in the sense of where you're working at a church and sometimes you're like kind of doing an internship, kind of hoping you're going to get a job from it at the end of it. Whereas with this, there was just an, a purity to it all to where it was like, I'm wanting to send you out after this job into wherever it is that the Lord has you going. And So, so, so you're saying, you know, when you were working with the youth group, it's it's teens at the church, yes, sir. but then later it's seminarians. Right. It's been seminarians, yeah. And so I think, um, I mean, currently our studio manager, our last four apprentice yeah. have all been DTS students. So pretty intentionally after that, after we kind of stepped away from uh, youth ministry, pretty intentionally after that we've yeah. hired almost exclusively DTS students. Yeah. Um, and so the, inten- so the intentionality there has been, uh, obviously they have some it's a job, but yeah. and they sure. learn Absolutely. they learn some yeah. skills. Absolutely, yeah. But the real intentionality is there, as I thought I heard you articulate it. Is look, I know what you're going through. Yeah. Let me just bring you into my world here, in hopes that you'll talk to me, and in that process, I can encourage you and yeah. tell you what I know. Oh yeah. But and it's not again. Okay, I'm going to come mentor you. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. It's directly. It was more. Yeah, really On the indirect, way. Yeah, yeah, beautiful thing that yeah. kind of uh, – That's cool. The Lord, yeah, kind of naturally evolved. Yeah. Um, well, and it's been an honor because but, I think there's been a lot of the, the seasons that some of these um, people have gone through as they've been with us that have been 
really heavy. Like there have been a couple of times, whether it's uh, family stuff, whether it's marriage stuff, whether it's work stuff, whether it's identity stuff, whether it's sin struggles, whatever it is. Yeah. And like, yeah, we'll be sanding or finishing or whatever it is. And after a long day's work, just talking about anything and everything. And it's just been really kind of God, I think, to, to open up a new understanding of what ministry is and what ministry can be to where it's not limited to the church and to where it's going to be, you are doing kingdom work no matter where it is that you are. And so I think recognizing that, yes, there are spiritual gifts that he's maybe given you, but it's not like a, this is my superpower and this is what I do professionally type of thing. But it's more like the way that I've thought about it is it's like a chisel in the sense of like, I mean, I use a chisel all the time for a number of different things. And so I think putting more stock in the craftsman rather than the tool in the sense of going, okay, Lord, how are you going to use me? Because I want to be fit for that. I want to be used for that. I want to be available for that. Mm -hmm. And that's different than going, okay, what's my job? Well, okay, if this is my degree and if this is what I should do and um, because he's going to use you in so many different Different ways. ways. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to say that. This episode is brought to you by the Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on The Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. Well, you know, we do a lot of integration of faith and work topics mm-hmm. on the on the table podcast, and, yeah. and so what you're bringing in here fits right into that. Um, many of our listeners, you know, they they're not they don't have their own business; they're not entrepreneurs, sure. but they they're they're a manager in a company yeah. or a supervisor, sure. you know, or they're a they're an associate pastor. Or, some position in a church where they have people reporting to them, and, and de facto they're they're actually managing people. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, they're interacting with people, and even people that aren't, you know, managing or supervising have coworkers. Yeah. And you know, Henry Ford, uh, the the auto builder, said, "When you hire a hand, because that's what they called the workers in those days. Mm-hmm. When you hire a hand, you get the whole rest of the body thrown in." And his point was that people bring everything they are mm-hmm. to work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you hire a person, you hire the whole person, mm-hmm. which means they bring not only their skills and whatever mm-hmm. value-creating uh, assets they, they have for the job, mm-hmm. just what you said. They bring their desires, yeah. their hopes, their aspirations. They bring their fears, right. their, their uh, failures, uh, the problems from home, yeah. um, their relational challenges. They bring all of that. Yeah. And that means that Christians are frequently, if not constantly, in what boiled down to pastoral moments. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. and soul moments. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a there's a, 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 a alumni of the seminary uh, now with the Lord. It was a good friend of my dad named Ray Stedman, 
and uh, Ray and Dad, and a bunch of them went through the seminary together back in the 40s and so forth. And Ray went off to uh, California and started Peninsula Bible Church uh, out there near uh, Stanford in Palo Alto. And I have a recording of him on campus here in 1984, and he was talking on Ephesians 4, and he was talking about the pastoral gift. He said, we tend to think of the pastoral gift as being exclusively sort of, you know, the, the, the professionals in the church, yeah. you know, your, yeah. your minister. Mm-hmm. He said, actually, that gift is distributed far more widely in the body of Christ than we realize. Yeah. Yeah. The Absolutely. reason being, there are so many pastoral needs in this world. Yeah. Right. Right. And every workplace has loads of them. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And again, to go back to Jesus, you see lots of pastoral moments that he finds himself mm-hmm. in where he's ministering to somebody's soul. And that's yeah. what you're describing here. And so you're, you're a great model here, I think, for our listeners of what people can do. You don't have to be ordained to have a ministry. You, you, yeah. you basically have to be aware and you have that to where, be mindful yeah. of... Yeah. Right. What can I, what yeah. can I do to bring yeah. encouragement, to bring perspective, yep. just to pray for somebody? Yep. I can't solve yeah. their yep. problem, yeah. but I'm mm-hmm. there for them yep. spiritually. Well, and exactly. I think one of the things that I I never would have anticipated and never would have asked for as far as something that I think has been exciting to see how the Lord has used the business as a ministry, uh, but for me personally, the lesson I never would have asked for is a constant – Leading out of weakness. Mm. I think in with a small business, when someone makes a mistake, everybody knows. When someone succeeds, everybody knows. But in running a business like this, um, knowing, okay, they're going to see what it looks like to fail. And so I need to show, okay, what does it look like to apologize, to mm. take responsibility for how I've made a mistake and that I know that it impacts them or customers or my family or whoever it is. Um, and then there's just this constant figuring things out just as an entrepreneur you're constantly learning because you've got so many different facets so many different things so many different responsibilities and so for me going okay i want to be as faithful of a husband and father and friend and boss and like all of these things um but i'm going to make mistakes and so i think knowing okay i don't have to be perfect but if i can try and be faithful um and i can be patient in knowing okay i'm here with people and i also have to be patient with myself and go okay lord you are working on me during this time as well. Um, so I never wanted to be, in essence, that type of leader. You know, you think of someone who's going to be strong and right all the time. And mm-hmm. um, so I think it's definitely been a humbling mm-hmm. experience to go, I can't do everything. There are, there are more responsibilities and things to be done than I can, but going, you know, maybe this is where I made a mistake or to our employees or to, you know, mm-hmm. a customer, whatever it is, and owning that. So. Yeah. So, Abby, you must be an immensely blessed woman to be married to a man who owns his mistakes and apparently apologizes. It happens 100% of the time. The mistakes, t- they do. They do. No, it's so the you, goal. You've seen this happen. No, he's a really, um, he's a really humble leader, definitely. He, I can um, see that. Yeah, he really is. He's um, – I'm the – I'm the numbers one. I'm the efficiency one. I'm, you know, but he's the, uh, he's the employee care. He is the, um, he's your resident he, pastor, ch- resident chaplain. Resident chaplain. Res- <laughs> he is, um, making sure I'm making sure we make money and he's making sure we have a heart still. He keeps yeah. us, um, 
Boy, I wish every so, business in this country could have both of those. You know, right? Well, I, so there's I, yeah. a, a, a conflict. There's, there's a, a whole chief financial world officer that right? and a chief compassion well, officer. Well, but you know, a lot of times though, that really that's there's a tension. It's really difficult. Yes. I mean, the business has been very yeah. challenging on our marriage. Yeah, um, definitely. And so, how do you how do you na- navigate that challenge? A lot of prayer, a lot of, and repentance. <laughs> I would say no. I mean, it's it's been a lot I of think, times we haven't navigated it well. Yeah. To be perfectly frank, we have. It's been a real struggle for us. It's yeah. been like a Lord, why have you brought this in our life? Because this is really causing our relationship a lot of yeah. um, tension that seems like we could avoid it had we done something different. Done something different. And so yeah. I think he's just now in the last probably a few years, not even a year and a half, really yeah. brought us to a place of slowly learning how to respect and value those differences. Because yeah. um, I think that's really the key. Well, because I think we saw so. each other as the hindrance or the problem or whatever it is. We just wanted to blame shift with sure. whatever the different season was. And we would assume if this wasn't the case, things would be better, which is a, a lie. Right. Working in a broken world is always going to be difficult, no matter if it's vocational ministry or otherwise. And so I think kind of going, because we went through seasons where we're like, all right, Lord, like, can you take this away yeah, from us, actually? Right. Because we don't know what we're doing. We right. are. We feel like we're struggling. And I think in his kindness, he's kept us in going, yeah. I want you to see me. I want you to be dependent. And I want you to, to learn how to love and see one another in a truly beautiful way because I made them that way. And yeah. then how that teamwork plays itself out. So that's, yeah. a, that's a beautiful point. And I heard you say a a moment ago that in a fallen world, things are always going to be challenging. Mm-hmm. So let me just put a thought experiment out there that that in a not fallen world, things would still be challenging. Hmm. You know, we, we tend to think if, if Adam and Eve, the garden, they hadn't sinned, they had kids, right. mm-hmm. here we are today, we're working and without the, the fallenness of the world, that hard to imagine, but there would still be work. Well, there'd still be mistakes made. Like, you know, somebody would drop a hammer on their foot. Sure, sure. You know, or you'd mash your th- – I'm sure you've, you've hit your thumb with a hammer, <laughs> Oh, right? my stars. I'm sure you've added up the numbers and said, oh, my gosh, Wait. we forgot to put this in. Absolutely. There's a comma that's I mean, supposed absolutely. to be Absolutely. Just last week. Human beings yeah. are limited, and, they, yeah. and, they, and they, they're going to make mistakes, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. But what you just articulated, it sounds to me, is the – it's the redemptive version of what happens in a fallen world that would have happened in a non-fallen world, which is, let's realize that we have differences here. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to, no. you know, hit hit your you hit your thumb with that sure. hammer. No, you know, I just wasn't paying attention. I really apologize for that. Sure, but you'd have the grace to say, yeah, I re- I understand that. I'm sorry, and you'd have the the grace to recognize the differences. I'm sure. so glad, Abby, that you're making me pay attention to these numbers. Yes. Yeah, yeah. we are learning And I'm so that. glad, yes. Luke, you know, that you come up with all these wild crazy ideas. That you're thinking ideas, of our ways to love our employees. And like, thinking yeah, of ways to right. love our employees. Because we need, like you said, if every company could have both, yeah. that would and the, be – we, we, Yeah, do. I think we're learning. And the, yeah. And the key words that yeah. you said were, isn't it wonderful that God has made us this way? <laughs> yeah. It all goes back to the creator <laughs> and that we're made in his image right. to cause this world and its people to flourish. Yeah, yeah. Right? exactly. And yeah. so that's what you're slowly, slowly, slowly. trying Keywords to bring slowly. about in yes. a fallen world. Right. Well, I just yeah. – I think at times because – 
as as far as we know, obviously, is that that Jesus was either working with wood or some people go stonemason, some whatever. It doesn't matter. It's more, I think, the idea of craftsmen. And so I uh-huh. think for me, trying to understand that mindset and to where it's kind of like, I mean, I know that there have been times where I have gotten a splinter that is like the size of a samurai sword in my arm. <laughs> and I'm just like, what in the world? But I've thought different times of going... When Jesus was working with whatever it is that he was working with, when he got a splinter, I mean, that is just going, I mean, he would, whether it's the thorns, he's like, this is not supposed to be this way. We're not supposed to, whether it's splinters or, but even to the point to where, like, he would have known the species of wood that the cross was made out of that he was hung on. Mm. And it's kind of like, and it's not just because he's omniscient, though he is, Mm. but it's because he would have worked with it. He would have seen it. So Exactly. And so I just think that there's a different type of... um, material element that I've gotten the privilege to enjoy, but at the same time, I think it's it's grown into a much bigger vision of understanding this made world was made by someone who worked in this world mm. when it was broken, though he designed it mm. to not be that way. Yeah. I, I perceive, Luke, mm. that you do a lot of what in this institution and institutions like it, we, we call theological reflection, mm. which means in the doing of the work obviously doing the work and paying attention to the work, but as you're doing the work, you know, in the, the, the moments when you can, sort of pondering the significance of the work from sure. a, yeah. a God's perspective and also yeah. sort of the theological implications of what this work is telling you about yeah. God, about the world, about yourself, um, and tell us a little bit more about how you do that. I mean, I think... It started kind of where it's like, okay, what does it mean for something to be beautiful? I think I think I'd, I'd only ever heard that type of language primarily as metaphor. I feel like in the church, and towards like this is a beautiful verse or this is a beautiful idea or something like that. And I I I don't know. I I sometimes struggled with that if I didn't understand it or whatever. And so I think an understanding that beauty is something much bigger and, and to where, whether it's a theology of aesthetics, whether it's um, how something is attractive and why something is attractive. Um, and so for me, I think it was being ta- taught here how to think, um, how to listen, and how to almost marinate on the scriptures and letting that form the imagination, how that would inform the way that I see the world. And so I think um, it's been more seeing other godly men do it really well, and whether it's uh, through what I've read or different conversations. And so um, it's definitely been a a process, and I think God is patient, and He gives me cookies on the lower shelf at times, and um, but it's, it's been a kind way of saying, I want I want you to see me as beautiful. I want you to enjoy me being God, um, not just as a provider, not just as a something that does something, but just enjoying Him. And I think it's been the time that I've had to just sit and work sometimes by myself where it's like, but He sees that work. He sees the care that's being taken um, and, it's, and that it matters to Him. Mm. Hmm. Well, one of, the, one of the beautiful things that you all have created uh, in addition to the the maps, mm-hmm. is, is are boxes. Sure. These these w- these crafted boxes. Mm-hmm. Keepsake boxes. Yeah. Keepsake mm-hmm. boxes. Yes. And tell us how you find your customers using those. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so we yeah we had the maps launched in 2012 and those were um, you know took off more than we thought and then we also you know in 2014 kind of similar experience we saw there was a gap in the market for a really 
um, really well-designed, um, timeless keepsake box. And so that's when we launched, I think 2014, mm-hmm. we launched our keepsake boxes originally with the intent of people um, – you know, keeping mementos from yeah. their travels. More of a glorified shoebox. Um, really, you know, fitting within that travel niche that we felt like we had found really well. Um, and so that was the original kind of vision. And yeah. then um, after we launched them, uh, we kind of realized that probably only, you know, 15% of people were purchasing them for that purpose. Um, more people were purchasing them for um, weddings, uh, engagements, yeah. lots of deaths. Um Lots of deaths. Lots of deaths, graduations. Yeah, so. Yeah, tell us about that. Um, so yeah, go ahead. So there was, where, where it really started to change into where instead of it being, yeah, just kind of a, a, not a junk drawer by any means, but instead of it being just for trinkets and whatnot, I was at the, I was at the workbench and I saw, I just had a bunch of the boxes laid out and I had the different lids for mm-hmm. all of the different customers because um, once we started doing uh, custom laser engravings on them, then that's when they really started to take off and. One was to celebrate a newborn. One was to celebrate um, – it was a bereavement box for a stillborn. Mm. One was a baptism. One was a confirmation. One was a birthday. One was a um, five-year anniversary. One was for a wedding. Yeah. One was for a retirement. And two were for a funeral of this couple that passed. So these 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 iconic soul moments in people's yeah. lives. And, oh, it, yeah. And it just – like I didn't even put two and two together, but I realized like – these are not just common boxes for these people. And we've gotten notes from moms who will who will send us um, yeah, messages into where it's like, I never wanted to remember um, the loss of my baby. I never wanted to ever have to talk about it. I never wanted to have to relive it. I never wanted to think about that pain. Um, but in getting to have a box that, that was worthy mm-hmm. of that moment and yeah. of what that meant in that season, it's helped me heal. It's helped me learn to mm. love that season, whether it's what the Lord has done through me or whatever. Um, but starting to see like these are much more important than just common boxes. And so that's... Well, we, we, <laughs> we talk about, uh, again, another theological term, means of grace. In yeah. other words, God gives us certain ways in mm-hmm. which we can experience His grace yeah. or we can do like sails that we can put up yeah. and catch the wind of His grace. But it sounds like in the creation of that box for that mother, you gave her a means of the grace of of being able to grieve in such a way that the the grief became redemptive instead of instead of destructive. Yeah, mm, yeah. she she found a yeah. way to mm-hmm. think about her stillborn. Yeah, without it wounding her soul over and over and over and over and over in the same yeah. way. Yeah, instead it it brought back tender memories and, yeah. and the yeah. best of the child. Yeah. yeah. That's, so, a, that's a beautiful thing. It, it, I think, yeah, we slowly – then we started slowly realizing that, you know, a whole – it opened our eyes to a whole nother kind of aspect of um, how we could tangibly really minister to people yeah. um, in a way that we never yeah. anticipated. Well, and or, it opened so, up – You wouldn't have seen that coming. I – no, and uh, I think, Abby, you can speak <laughs> oh to this goodness. better than I can, but um, as far as oh. um, there were some different organizations that we were able to kind of get paired yeah. with, one one in particular we've really, really loved. Right, so then we, um, once our eyes were open to this, then we kind of started tangibly trying to seek out opportunities to utilize these boxes to, um, you know, surf, minister yeah. and serve. Yeah, that's yeah. a great way to say it. Um, and so... 
uh, maybe about a year ago, a year and a half, no, two years ago now, mm -hmm. um, we started partnering with a actually local organization. Um, everyone should go look them up called Able Speaks. Um, Able Speaks. Able Speaks. A B E L. And we, um, they found us actually. That not knowing we were in yeah, Dallas. Not knowing we were in Dallas, complete divine, just the Lord just By put a us together. By college pastor and his wife up at Watermark. Yeah. And you know. so um, they had started this organization to minister to families who have chosen to carry a child with a life-limiting illness um, to term. Yeah. So these parents are choosing um, not to abort, not to um, take any other means, but to carry this mm. child to term, even though they know that the child will, will not live. Most yeah. likely, right? Yeah, because it was Tristan um, 18. Uh, that was their their baby. That's right. what inspired um, a lot of it. So um, now we partner with them and we provide the keepsake boxes for these um, families. families that are, yeah. you know, they connect with families through hospitals in Dallas. Yeah. Um, and we give them a keepsake box. Yeah, after and in there there's like, um, whether it's books, whether it's literature, whether it's prayers, um, there's a necklace um, as yeah, well Yeah, so in it's there. filled with um, personalized Stuff, things yeah. for this child. And it's, um, man, so, it, it has been a rough and uh, like humbling experience because we went to the uh, the, bir uh, the birthday mm -hmm. event last year to where they get together and all of the families that have gone through the Able Speaks service and they've cared mm -hmm. for and all of that, they're there and they talk about Able Speaks, but then there's this moment and oh my gosh, Abby and I were just a wreck. We were in tears because they would, if a picture was available, there'd be the picture and either way, there'd also be the name and there would just be this moment of silence for these little ones. And I mean, you see the parents like around the room and their little, you know, the balloon and all of this. And it was heartbreaking because it's like, I remember seeing that, that little one's name engraved on this box. Right. And I mean, it has just been so humbling and um, it's, it's just, it, it's an honor to get to step into that area of brokenness for a family and love them in such a simple Way, simple, yeah, a box. tangible way. Well, once again, the picture yeah. that comes to my mind here as you go to these folks, many of whom you've made these boxes for, and you're you're sort of with them in their pain. I go, you know, right back there to John 11, where Jesus goes to the tomb of Lazarus, and if it is true that he, in addition to wood, worked in stone, then he, of all the people in that village would have known all about the, the, the making and the placing of that mm -hmm. stone in front yeah. of the tomb, right? Yeah. So when he says, roll the stone away, <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of like the plumber going, okay, flush it. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> he knows what right. that's about, yeah. right? right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, not to be crude about it, I'm mm -hmm. just saying. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and what does he do? He's there and he weeps. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he knows what he's going to do, yeah. you know, but he knows, he knows what that stone represents. Yeah. And he also knows that when he pulls it back, you know, What's what gonna that's going to represent. Yeah. So, you know, it's another it's another one of those parallels, Luke. Of, well, and again, it's amazing. We, yeah. We've tried to leave. We've tried to go, <laughs> God, there's got to be an easier way because entrepreneurship well, is very difficult. Oh, yep. And I think in his kindness, he has kept us here because I think it's going, there's some things I want to show you about myself through the day-to-day -day work in the uh, way that and, you minister to And to show people. you about himself through your work and to show your customers about himself through your work. Sure. Yeah. And so just so our table podcast uh, listeners have it, what's the website address for your company? Sure. Uh, Wayfarin.com, W-A-Y-F-A-R-E-N. 
W-A-Y-F-A-R-E-N.com. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. we're in Dallas. We have a like very small studio uh, wood shop in just south of Deep Ellum. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, this is, a, as I said at the top, this is a wonderful story, and I am just so delighted that you guys came to uh, share this with our our listeners today. We're honored yeah. to be here. Thank and you very really, much. And really, it's a really neat full circle to yeah. be students here. Sorry. <laughs> be students here to then come, come back, back for around. our podcast. So well, it's really neat. you know, we've considered, you know, Fortune 500 companies we've, <laughs> we've talked about in here and everything in between. And here we're down at the, you know, the bottom of the food chain with yeah. tiny little boutique mm-hmm. consultancy. But yeah. God is involved in all of that. Exactly. Yeah. And every bit of it. Yeah. That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. And if you have a topic you would like us to consider for a future episode of The Table, please email us at thetable at dts.edu. For The Table, I'm Bill Hendricks. Thank you for being with us today. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth, love well.